0: Welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend Anne Chavruta, your Dana Osband, our daf of the day, Masachet Ivamot, daf, Samech Zion, page 67. Our daf has two Mishnayot with a bunch of Gemara in between. Uh, we're going to tackle the Mishnayot and talk about the Gemara, you know, as we go rather than focusing on the Gemara itself. It is worth reading. There's some interesting discussion, which I'll touch on after I read here first the first Mishnah. So we have a case of a woman who is a Bat Yisrael, meaning not a Kohen, not a Levi, not the daughter of a Kohen, not the daughter of a Levi. She marries a Kohen. He dies. She, he dies when she's pregnant. So her slaves, meaning we're now talking about barzel. Nichley to who are coming, who will be re- revert to her ownership, right? They are still not allowed to eat from truma, ubar. So this is where we get interesting, and the Gemara gets even more interesting about this because of the chelko, the portion of the ubar, the fetus, right? Meaning the fetus is going to be an heir to the father, right? Um, the and, and so, okay, there's a lot of very complicated things to unpack here. First of all, we're still talking about slaves, which we know we don't like. Now we're talking about what does it mean for a fetus who is not yet, you know, born to be, a, to have a portion in the ownership of those same slaves, right? It, it's a complicated discussion and the Gemara gets into it a bit. It does seem to be a matter of, and I think Dana, you put this well as we were preparing, that there is an acknowledgement that there's going to be a change to the structure of heirs the inheritors right that's going to come soon right meaning once this child is born and and you know that child won't come into any property until he or she becomes of age right but and so there's a long wait period here but there's an acknowledgement that there is you know all of the expressions of a bun in the oven something's cooking all of those things like there's a there, something is it's really i guess the meaning of the word pregnant right that something is about to change so that's that's the halacha uh, that that like the as we keep seeing truma is the practical distinction between you know this case and that case what would happen if she had been married to? you know, a Yisrael, there'd be no discussion of Truma at all, right? It's because she's married to Kohen, you would think he's died. And, you know, what would that mean for the Truma? Now, the, the other strange thing here is, of course, that the question of Truma, you would think that maybe because of this the, the Ubar, the fetus, who will grow up to be a Kohen, you would think that they might in fact, be able to eat from Truma. Not that they would not be able to eat from Truma. So that's an you know an open cu- question for a, another discussion at a different time. Um, now we have Shahubar Posel. Now what happens is if we would have a Yisrael husband and a Bat kohen, uh the Yisrael husband dies, the Bat Kohain is pregnant, and then Shahubar Posel. In that case, the fetus would disqualify her from from partaking in truma, meaning um, even though she's a backohan and you would think, well, she's going back to her father's house because her husband has died, because she's pregnant, the the fetus will, again, and the fetus will inherit his father or her father, right, that will negate the mother's ability to go back to the father's house and get the truma, eat from the truma that she would otherwise be allowed to eat from. And by the same token, that fetus would not um so does not enable either the mother or the slaves to partake of truma. Devre Rabbi Yosef, according to Rabbi Yosef. Now, I will say that this final statement seems to be on the first case, not on the second case. I'm not sure why the Mishnah is flip-flopping around like this. Amru Lo, so then the rabbi said to him, and this seems to be, you know, a statement to Rabbi Yosef, to Rabbi Yosef, I think al From when you talk to us about you, you gave testimony really on a Bat Yisrael who was married to a Kohen. Even a Bat Kohen, the, this is, I think, the, the case that makes it clearer. A daughter of a Kohen, who, you know, again, she grew up entitled to Truma, her husband dies, she's not pregnant, she's theoretically entitled to Truma again. In this case, Abad Kohen, who's married to Kohen, the Kohen dies, or the husband dies, and she is pregnant. The halacha here is, according to Chazal, Lo Her slaves can still not eat the truma, because again, there seems to be this concern that the Ubar, that the fetus has this portion um of inheritance, and there, and the the rationale here is. It's not going to make a difference whether the Ubar, whether the child is going to, the future child is going to grow up to eat from Truma or not, meaning whether the future child is a Kohit or not. The very um, existence of the future person is what negates the slave's ability to eat from Truma. Um, So it should not surprise anybody that what happens in the Gemara is a whole lot of discussion of what does it mean for there to be an inheritance that is going to be assigned to the Ubar to the fetus when this is not yet a person. And you would think, I would think anyway, that we would not really be talking about inheriting until there's, you know, until the until a child grows up to be able to have daat, to have like cognizance or whatever that's able to accept property. And so there is some discussion of this of you know, what does the court do? Or there's this an example here of of a minion of 10 men that will come and you know give over to this Ubar, to the fetus, the inheritance that he or she, right? They didn't know. There's no way to know. Um he or she would would then later acquire as a as a real live person, as a full person. Um I'm trying to use my vocabulary carefully here because because the Gemara really does. The Mishnah here does and the Gemara really does. Again, consistently talking about the difference between an Ubar, uh, you know, they never talk about a tinok here. They talk about an ubar. The fetus has a portion, has, has some claim, future claim to the property. Um, and it comes up, as I say, read through the Gemara itself and you'll see a whole bunch of different cases where this becomes, you know, a manifest case.
1: Yeah, I think that, um, it, you know, I think we should just state what it is. There's a lot of discussion sort of about other political areas does and it's <laughs> really not what the mission is talking about you know I think the the way I think we've're framing this ann and I is that you know there's a change that women do not really inherently sort of have property rights or their property rights change once they're married and that property right essentially goes to children to the inheritors as, you know when that when the husband is deceased. So what happens if there's involved, And in other words, yes, if there's no children, she may have rights to some of those things. But once there's a, you know, once that child is born, it changes some of those rights. And what the mission is essentially saying is, is that in that in-between stage where it's clear that sort of something is going to happen, right? There is a child on its way. You get these sort of very in-between scenarios um, that, you know, in to truma or how her slaves are fed or things like that but i think it's actually really important uh for the modern learner not to sort of take it in terms of you know modern day uh political debates uh around abortion or things like that i i'm not saying that our experiences shouldn't impact how we read things but this is really it's a question of inheritance It's, it's an economic discussion
0: thank you for uh you know, saying it like it is. I I was pussyfooting around, and I'm I'm glad to have it out in the open. I I, think I, I
1: know we had discussed it before, but I was like, we just need to say it. But anyhow,
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's good.
1: All right, so I you know, so I think that's really the way to look at the scamar that comes in, and particularly with this uh, you know with this opinion of um, uh, 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 of Raviosi here, right? Like, what is it exactly uh, that what's the status? Uh, of this Ubar. And uh, I'm also using the word Ubar on, on purpose because I think the English translation of fetus also is, doesn't do well uh, in terms of what they mean by an Ubar. Uh, I actually don't know what the origin of the word is, but it has the a Shavavar which also to me is like to pass through, <laughs> like it also indicates something transitional. I just want to make, I don't know, Anne, because you're the language
0: person. I mean, I think us. it's from Mu'uberet, right? The woman who is pregnant, right? right. And it's, and we say that we see the same term, not to conflate issues, but we see the same term used in Kiddush HaKodesh, right? Like the or right. the idea of a, a month that has that extra day, it's a pregnant month, right? There's So I that's not giving you shorish and, and etymology. But um, but I I think the the sense of potential that is found in the word pregnant, although we don't think about it ever because we just talk about it as like the woman being pregnant. It's a status as opposed to this, like, you know, a pregnant pause. Something's about to happen. I feel like the Hebrew conveys that very well. Like there's there's this something about to happen, something a child's about to be born that's about to happen, um you know, in good time Um, that I think is inherent in the like the way the Hebrew works.
1: Right. And also just pay attention to this Machlokas with Rabbi Yossi, which I just found to be fascinating, which is when, like, when do you become a Kohen? Are you a Kohen from the time that you are actually, you know, from the time the baby is, you know, in the mother's womb, or is it a Kohen only once it's born? In modern day halacha, you know, I people may may or may not know this, but, you know, we know that Kohanim do not go to cemeteries, right? They cannot, uh, even today, even though everybody presumably has some type of Tuma from, uh, you know, Tumat uh, but the practice is, is that a woman, even if she's a Bat Yisrael who's married to a Kohen, uh, there are many people who hold that they do not go to cemeteries if they're of childbearing age because of the potential that they could be pregnant with a Ben Kohen, and that Ben Kohen, uh, that, you know, uh, Ubar shouldn't sort of the practical halakha that's even practiced today.
0: Yeah, that's a good point.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna move on now to the to the Mishnah that closes out uh that closes out the stop, which again is gonna get into a discussion of um sort of uh what are things that can impact uh you know a basically a woman's status as to whether or not she can eat truma. Okay? So if we all thought that the discussion about three-year-olds was disturbing, now we're going to get to the boy version of this in this Mishnah. So what it's saying here is that uh, the ubar, right, of a, uh, of a woman who's divorced or, or who's widowed Um, right? So in other words, a woman who's no longer married for either of those two circumstances, right? The hayavam, right? The man who we know we're talking about this, the man who's going, who could marry uh, his sister-in-law because his brother died childless. Um, Having, entering into that state of a rusin, right? A cheresh or a nine-year-old and one-day boy who had a sexual relationship with a woman if any of these men are uh, a ben yisrael and she is a bat kohen, they would postulate they basically disqualify her. That relationship disqualifies her um, from being able to um, from being able to eat truma. Sorry, I didn't explain the chayrish. The chayrish is if she marries uh, a chayrish. If she marries a uh, uh, so that would disqualify her from eating truma. But, all right, the Lomachlin, so she's, she's, she's Pasol, the Lomachlin. But let's say she is a, uh, let's say she's a Bat Yisrael, right? And they are all Kohanim. All of these people are Kohanim. They also don't enable her to be able to eat Truma. So this is sort of like a difficult category where like either way, it's hard. Either she's no longer entitled to her Truma, even though she's a Bat Kohanim, or she now enters into relationship with a Kohen, which theoretically should entitle her to some type of ability to eat truma. But these relationships are either sort of in a transitional state or it's somebody who themselves is disqualified from eating uh, truma. And therefore, she's not allowed to eat. It, it doesn't allow her to actually eat truma. Okay. Uh, right. And so in this case where we talked about with a boy, uh, where it's uncertain whether he was nine nine years old in one day or whether he is not, and he had a sexual relationship uh, with a woman, right? Probably what this is talking about is uh, maybe he was in, in you know, like uh, a Rusin was done, because remember, a Rusin was done much, much earlier in some circumstances. And maybe there was a question as to whether or not, or they discovered that there was some type of sexual relationship. Um, you know, right? Or there's a uncertainty as to whether he actually has grown to uh pubic hairs and therefore would be considered an adult, or whether he has not grown, right? Because that that would also disqualify her from having truma, uh, as in the same case, or let's say we have a case where a house fell on a man, uh, you know fell uh, on a man and on his brother's daughter to whom he was married they and we're not sure who actually died first in other words if she died first right uh you know so in other words because it has to do with let's say there was another uh, uh, wife there okay uh, so in this case the the rival right would do Halitza and not uh, in other words what they're talking about here is is that you can't actually enter into Yibum with the other brother. So, in other words, let's say there's Ruvain and he's married to Rachel and Leah, and a house falls on uh, Ruvain and Rachel. Okay, and it's not clear uh, who actually died first because if the wife died after the husband, right? Uh, the the surviving wife, Leah, right? Actually, because she, and let's say she was a forbidden relative, okay. She would not be allowed to uh, marry the Adam because, in other words, her the her relationship with that other wife, right, uh, actually uh, disqualified her from doing Yibum from anybody doing Yibum because there was a forbidden relationship there. But if the wife died first, right, then there was no issue about the forbidden relationship anymore. And then the husband died. That brother and that Sarah actually can. Uh, they actually could enter into a into a marriage with each other so these subphate cases also become an issue when it comes to truma it's not clear what you you know it, it, it's nobody qualifies uh to eat truma through these subfate cases and uh and also it doesn't allow somebody uh it also can make you p- pasul if you were allowed to eat truma and so I think what we get out of this Mishnah is, is that this whole question of, you know, I, I I like to think of it as like the ability to take Truma. Remember, this is a gift that's given to the Kohain. It's sort of like an economic right that the Kohanim get, as you know, their status of being the ones who sort of serve the Jewish people, do all of the ritual in the temple, but they themselves do not actually own property. And therefore, we have to sort of get, we actually literally have to feed them by donating truma to them. Um, but I appreciate that. I think ultimately they're very careful with that truma that like in a way, I don't know, Anne, if it's because like truma is almost like a communal fun, but it's not just like anyone can eat truma because you have any relationship with a Kohen. It's very strict how one qualifies or is disqualified from eating truma. And therefore this mission is listing a whole bunch of cases where there's sort of like either a transition or question about something. And therefore we're just going to say, Nope, you know what? You don't get truma in these cases. Um, Because we just, we're not going to allow, I I, I don't know. There's like a protection around truma that we see in this Mishnah. They don't want it to be available just to everybody, even for a minimal relationship. It actually has to be a very well-established relationship.
0: Um. Yeah. And I think that it, as I said before, I think it somehow becomes the barometer, right? Like the, where we're able to use truma, the eligibility to eat from truma, as the dividing line between one case and the next, right? Meaning that it establishes a nafkamina that then illustrates the different natures of the cases. I want to also note that I, I think we're back in the weeds of Yavamo a little bit here, right? Meaning, and I would say that, meaning here, because we've got the different cases of of where, where these lines, where these distinctions are going to be drawn, and I think that now I think perhaps even differently from the beginning of the masachet, we have enough of the vocabulary to be able to say, okay, look, here we do have, you know, the different cases, the different implications, and all of the all of those many uh, charts and different scenarios that we explored before that were sometimes head spinning. Now I feel like you know, there's a they provide the the means to understand what is that nafka mean? What is that different practical application of whether one can eat from truma or not?
1: Yeah. And I, I just want to say for myself personally, I, you know, I never really thought about truma all that much. I think partly because we don't really do it today. I mean, like if you live in Israel, you separate some of your fruits and vegetables and it sort of goes in a baggie and you make a bracha, but it's not something that you actually give or someone's eating. So um, you know, but I, I just I found this to be very interesting. Like, I don't know. I, I'm sort of moving it away from s- some of the modern day, you know, politics over discussion of some of these categories and to really see how like this was much more complicated. It wasn't just like, oh, here's your gift Cohen, and everybody in your household gets to eat it. I like I'm picturing sort of like these meals that were filled with Truma food. And there may have been somebody sitting at the table who couldn't eat some of that food. And, like, how did you work around that? How did you serve that? What did other people eat in the household? Like, in other words, I think there were people in a Cohen's house or in a Yisrael's house that, like, could not partake in some of the truma. And that must have been, like, an interesting way for a household or a meal to have to function.
0: Like now when we have Sephardim and Ashkenazim on Pesach, don't eat that rice. Okay, but you could have this. Or, you know, more commonly, I guess, you know, vegetarians uh, at a meat meal or People with allergies that are not too extreme, you know, you can or, you know, sensitivities, right? You can eat this, but don't eat that. Yeah, I imagine it would be been quite complicated. I wonder how common it was, right? Meaning the Gemara spent so much time focusing on these cases of Kohanim. Kohanim are a minority amongst the whole people, right? Were the Kohanim everywhere? Were the Kohanim eating Truma everywhere? If you lived in the Galil, during the time of the Beta McDash, let's say, right? When you're, you know, on the periphery of... Of where Jews were living at the time, were you getting Truma or was it only in Jerusalem? Uh, you know, there are many questions here that I would like to to understand better. Right.
1: And let's be careful Kohanim can eat non Truma food. I would imagine this was practical because people are always being born, dying, getting divorced. Like, in other words, these are all life transitions that just happen. You know, yes, did it impact the majority of people? No. But these are definitely life transitions that happened.
0: That's our DAP discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think of this stuff. Thank you to Rabinette Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadwin website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.